Andy and Mitch, this is Morgan Peter Brown, actor, producer, and occasional guest on Strong Language and Violent Scenes. Happy 100 episodes, you two weirdos. Uh, Thank you so much for giving us all so many amazing hours (laughs) and allowing me to come on and uh, talk at length about the ridiculousness and joy that is Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Uh, Congratulations, you guys. Your show is truly so much fun, and I look forward to it always listening to the new episodes. So I look forward to congratulating you again in another 100 episodes. Keep it going, guys. Take care. Bye. Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Minisode 103 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. Huzzah! Good morning, how are you? I'm okay man, how are you? Not bad at all, for date stamp purposes, coming at you around about 10am on a Sunday. Yeah, how's uh, lockdown fever? It's been a little bit of an up and down one this week, I must say. Uh, Yeah, I'm sometimes totally fine and sometimes just absolutely on the verge of cracking up. So I resolved this yesterday, temporarily at least, but... By taking advantage of our new government-sanctioned uncapped exercise. So I walked, I must have walked a total of about 10 miles yesterday. It was nice. Went to the shop first, but then also went to Block, which uh, anyone that's not from Glasgow might not know, but it is my favorite food kitchen in Glasgow, which is currently available for takeaways and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I went there and got a takeaway dinner and literally just ate it in a park next to the place with a fork, knife, and spoon that I had brought from home. You're such a fucking weirdo. I love you so much. <laughs> it was amazing, though. Kind of felt like I had earned eating this ridiculously decadent food because I then walked the three miles home again. I've got to say, Mitch, admire the forethought to pack your cutlery. Uh-huh. I don't know what it was that made me think, you know what? It's like better to have them and not need them than need them and not have them. Sure. I mean, ultimately, you would have just, presumably, if you had forgotten them, eaten it like a wolf. Yeah, absolutely. I would have just sports ruled my face right into that burger. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was kind of, so that was probably the high point of my week, if I'm being totally honest what about yourself what's been going on you have been continuing a lot of gardening stuff is that right i have the toughing is completed marvelous uh, uh, it's looking pretty good yesterday i, I did some stonework okay um, <laughs> but yeah yeah i've been gardening not today sadly as the weather has taken a turn it's a bit shite today it's, isn't it uh, it's not pleasant at all today but uh, yeah again like everyone else just trying to get on with stuff. It's not so easy when you've got an eight-month-old. No, I wouldn't imagine it is. Have you been watching anything, though, and uh, made any room to squeeze anything in? I have, yeah. I went on to Shudder, and I watched Blood Quantum. Okay, uh uh-huh. Now, people have been talking reasonably favourably about this since it came out. Yeah, I I do want to just cycle back on something that I said when we we did the streaming platforms a couple of weeks ago, and you mentioned the fact that Blood Quantum was coming to Shudder. Yes. Me, using my white man privilege, immediately shot it down as being a stupid title, when in fact 
protect blood quantum is something that is pretty important to First Nations people. Right, okay. Just to give you a bit of background on actually what it is, it's a measurement of the amount of Indian blood that someone has, which can affect your identity, your relationship, and whether or not you or indeed any children you might have are allowed to become a citizen of the tribe. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, like some tribes, like the, the Navajo, require 25% native blood. Right. So, uh, yeah, I stupidly just thought it was a shite title, like Quantum of Solace. Okay. Um, when in fact it's something much more important and serious to people. So, uh, yeah, this is me walking that back and saying, apologies, I'm a dick. Fair enough. I was probably a little bit quick to criticise that as well, so I'll hold my hands up in the same way. But how does that factor into this story then? Well, it does factor into the story indirectly, I suppose, because what we have here is a zombie film, right, uh, that's set in Canada. It kind of starts with the infection taking root, and you see it kind of in a small scale with, like, fish and stuff to begin with, dead fish. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of goes from there. What it is is a zombie infection that the native people are immune to. So what we have here is a lot of white zombies terrorising kind of first nations people I see, right. There's some important stuff in there surrounding that and how that kind of factors into, like, there's a pregnant woman in it and uh, how is the baby going to be and all sorts of stuff like that. But yeah, it, it's interesting. It takes a turn around about maybe the half an hour mark where there's a chronology hop and it all becomes a bit dystopian turbo kitty. Right. Because the, the infection's really taking root at this point and people are just trying to survive. That is not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> one guy turns up in a skull mask at one point of the chronology hops and I was just like, oh, oh, this is happening now. We're, uh, we're kind of somewhere between Wormwood and Turbo Kid. Sounds pretty interesting. Did you come out pro or con mostly? Well, there's a few things I wanted to say. I, I want to say that some of the effects in this are really, really excellent and really gross. But some of the acting and the writing is a bit cringy and a bit off. Like, it feels a bit stilted. Right. Uh, what I will also say is that there's a noticeable second act sag, which really deflated things for me. Kind of like, I mean, this is a what, 97 minute film, so it's not long at all. No. But I was like, oh my god, like this really feels baggy in the middle. Right, okay. But yeah, there's some pretty cool stuff in here. There's some gnarly stuff. A surprising lack of set pieces. Okay, do you think that works to its benefit or to its detriment? Do you know what it feels like? Go on. It, it kind of feels like a zombie version of 30 Days a Night to an extent. There's one awesome scene where they've closed the bridge and they've blocked the bridge off because the zombies are coming from the nearby town onto the reservation. Mm-hmm. And they've blocked the bridge using like a snowblower, which is essentially just a big rotating blade that then funnels snow out the back. Right. So they just keep this running and zombies walk into it. And I thought that was a really cool thing that I could have done with seeing more of. Right, okay. Because it's only really mentioned as, and, and shown, in so much as keeping the zombies away from the reservation, but it never really has any massive impact beyond that. Um, which is a shame, but yeah, I, I just thought that it was a wee bit flat for me. Right. But it's pretty interesting. It's got some interesting stuff to say. And like I said, if you want to go on and see some gory shit, then there's plenty of gory stuff in here. The effects are really strong. Okay. So depending on what you're looking for, it might be for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's people out there who just want to see gory stuff and want to see zombies chomping on guts, then this film's got you covered. Mm -hmm. But it also has a pretty important message in there. Right. Uh, which is pretty cool. But that's really all I've watched apart from one thing, which we'll get to in a bit. What about yeah. yourself? I checked out something that a couple of people have been talking about kind of in a couple of different areas that I've seen people just kind of starting to talk about this film that's on Amazon Prime called The Horror at Gallery K. Right. Which is directed by Abe Goldfarb. I think it was originally flagged up to us by Adam Stovall. It was. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. People may remember from uh, the film A Ghost Waits and 
also our Gremlins 2 episode. But a couple of people posting reviews of this, posting chat about it. Just enough going on to point me in the direction of it. So I went and watched it actually just this morning. And what you have here is a couple that go to like couples therapy. It starts out very talky. Most of the first, like maybe half of the film is set inside this therapist's office during this one session. So this couple, they're trying to figure out their stuff. There's some kind of like pretty adversarial, pretty confrontational stuff said. It all feels pretty real. I think character-wise, it's pretty interesting. And you've got this therapist who's getting a little bit distracted. Phone keeps going off, all this kind of thing. And to begin with, I was like, this is really fucking annoying. They better have a plan for this. Obviously, they do. The second 40 minutes of this, if you like, which is the second half, it's very short, goes to really unusual and strange. And I would say for what was obviously kind of a fairly negligible budget, fairly ambitious places. Okay. Um, it's really, really cool, actually. I like this quite a bit. It's not directly compatible to Adam Soma Ghost Weights, but I think that there's a similar sensibility to some of the filmmaking. Okay. And I think that without saying that the two are similar, I do think it's possible that if you liked one, you'd like the other. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, I like the Ghost Weights. I, it's, I mean, this is this is well worth your time. And like I say, in the UK, at least, it's gettable on Amazon Prime right now. That was just where I got it. But no, I thought I thought this was really interesting. I'd 100% recommend it. That was really good. Gettable. Yes. Obtainable. <laughs> Sure. Um, it is not cinematic unobtainium. <laughs> uh, Lovely. A couple of other things for me, but falling under very particular umbrellas. Ah, okay. Mitch watches things from the 90s. He does indeed. So remember, I promised last week that um, having watched I Know What You Did Last Summer, I would watch I Still Know What You Did Last Summer and something else. Yes. I've managed half of those things. I watched I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Right. So I had very little memory of this film, to be honest, apart from the fact that it was generally regarded as being pooder than I Know What You Did Last Summer and that Jack Black is in it playing a yeah. like white Jamaican guy. <laughs> yeah, I've got to say, Mitch, straight away, hard disagree with what what you just said about it being worse than its predecessor. I am saying right now that I hard disagree with that as well. You might remember last week I said that the thing that jumped out at me, the thing that jumped off the page at me about I Know What You Did Last Summer on Revisit was that mm-hmm. it was way less fun than I remembered. It was still quite entertaining, but it had way less fun with the conceit sure, sure, um, sure. than I remembered it doing, which is rectified with a vengeance in I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, which is far more entertaining in my opinion. I couldn't agree more. I really like I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Yeah, but I really, really enjoyed it on rewatch. Like I say, I would put it a considerable chunk ahead of the original. <laughs> it depends what you're looking for, I suppose, but I always think that when I'm watching that kind of slasher, I am looking for something that's going to be a little bit more fun, and it's for that reason that this tick my boxes a little bit more. No, it was good. I will try and watch something a little bit more challenging maybe next week, but these two have been a nice palate cleanser after Deathwood's King. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And Shram, I guess. Probably in terms of the things that I should be watching for this right now, I think the answer probably lies somewhere in between, so I'll see what next week brings. Excellent stuff, Mitch. So moving swiftly on... We did gather back around the Zoom mics for another edition of Smoky Thriller Fridays this week. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Smoky Thriller Fridays on a conceptual level, it does very much what it says on the tin. Me, Andy, and Andy's wife Jackie have introduced this as a way to beat some lockdown boredom on Friday evenings. We gather around the Zoom mics normally around about half eight, nine o'clock. We yeah. dig into Netflix. Uh, normally, one of the three of us has come up with a little short list of potential Smoky Thrillers for the evening's viewing. Mm-hmm. We watch it and then we talk about it. Basically, we are looking for 
for the trash of Netflix. <laughs> yeah, the vaguely sexy trash of Netflix. We did not do well with this last week. We watched Dangerous Lies, which was a technically made but absolute houseplant of a film. Oh, Mitch, I've got to say, Dangerous Lies didn't do it for me. Not even a bit. Not even a little bit, honestly. So I turned programming privileges back over to the Greenlee Stewart dynasty. Sure. <laughs> uh, and uh, you've actually come up with this week's and next week's. But this week, we went for The Mystery of Michelle. We did. So uh, you want to go for a potted synopsis of this film? Sure, potty synopsis of this film. Um, Young girl goes missing around about age seven, leaving her mother, who is a children's book author, bereft. With you so far? 20 years later. Quite a meaty chronology hop. Yes, mm -hmm. all all the best ones are, Andy. Yeah, and uh, another woman called Michelle of an approximately similar age to the missing daughter turns up in town. She is immediately befriended by the children's author who believes her to be her lost daughter. But is she? And is all what it seems? I would say that's fair enough. I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to I'm gonna hold my hands up straight away and just be like, I was comfortably the most invested in this one out of all the ones that we've done so far. <laughs> yeah, 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 you were. You were loving it. Yeah, I was gripped by it. Uh, I mean, I, it derails pretty spectacularly in the last 20 minutes or so. Yeah, yeah, they try to cram an awful lot and because there was a point where we were like, there's like eight minutes left in this. How's it going to wrap? Up. Uh, yeah, yeah, as it turns out, the answer to that abruptly. Yeah, it just stuffs a lot of stuff into the last eight minutes, and I actually thought the ending was a little unsatisfying. I would agree. Uh, it swings a little bit wild. However, I would say that if you are looking for some trash for your Friday evening, or indeed any other time that you are trash inclined, then you could do mm -hmm. a lot worse. So, uh, just a quick recap of what we've watched so far and what we thought of them, Mitch, kicking back to the very first one that we did, Deadly Expose. Yep, uh, some amount of crap, but very entertaining. Sure, yep. Uh, then we went on to An Affair to Die For, which was brilliant. Yes, I would say potentially <laughs> your pick of the bunch so far. Absolutely, without without question. We followed that up with Fanatic, not to be mistaken, with The Fanatic. Yes, Fanatic. Pretty flat, that one, I think. Total garbage. And then we launched last week into Dangerous Lies. Which, as discussed, was terrible. No, no. So, so far, it's been a mixed bag, this uh, little endeavour that we've got going, but... Uh, I've got high hopes for next week. Yeah, more information on that um, a little bit nearer the time. But yeah, I guess that wraps up the viewing for this week then. It does indeed, which means only one thing. What have they been saying? Well, they've been saying a lot. And I want to touch on something really quickly before we start. This seems like a sensible place to do this. Uh, this week we did on Facebook launch a group for listeners. Yeah, yeah, it's a private group. It's a private group, but if you want to get in on there, it's just another place for feedback, but also we're just kind of hoping that people might interact a little bit more directly with each other because we've kind of talked a lot about the community vibe around this entire thing, and we're just kind of looking for fun ways to kind of grow that. So we set up the Chud Locker. We did, yeah, and I just want to say I don't have visibility of the Chud Locker because I don't have Facebook, but I'm having a lot of stuff fed back to me via other means, and it's great so far. Great work, guys. Yeah, um, you guys are doing pretty much exactly what I hoped would happen with it so far, which is that people are using it to plug or mention their own like relevant work, whether mm -hmm. that be writing, podcasting, filmmaking, all that kind of thing, which is great. Also, um, a couple of people just looking for like horror gaming recommendations, shutter recommendations, stuff like that. This is yeah. all what this was supposed to be about, really. And it's been nice seeing you guys interact with each other. Also, it's nice to just kind of leave it for 12 hours, come back and see that you guys have sprung up a bunch of conversations with each other and all this kind of thing. This is pretty much what we were trying to do with it. And it seems like so far it's working. So yeah, if you want to get in on that action, by all means, just jump on Facebook, uh, just Google Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the Chud Locker, and you'll find that group right away. Get in there, join in. The only reason I mention this now is that a couple of the feedback pieces this week uh, have been called from that. Yeah, excellent. But loads of stuff going on this week. Double episode drop on Friday. Yeah, we dropped episode 102 
in which we were joined by the lovely Ryan Spindell to talk Burnt Offerings. Oh, indeed. Um, the chat about Burnt Offerings itself, not too much of that so far, but Darren Gaskell did get in on Facebook and make a wee mention of Ryan's from the Mortuary Collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, just saying, I enjoyed the Mortuary Collection a lot. A Clancy Brown-led anthology. What's not to like? Short answer, Darren, not a hell of a lot. I thought the Mortuary Collection was uh, great fun. I really, really like it too. I think they're also given what Ryan told us about how that film was made and the kind of piecemeal way that it was put together, I don't think that you can see any of that on screen. I think it's a really, really interesting film that looks and feels really impressive, especially for a first-time feature filmmaker. You can really tell that it's a kind of labour of love and the product of a lot of honing of craft, I would say. Yeah, I think it's actually a much more cohesive anthology than it has any right to be based on what Ryan told us. Yeah, I think that that's true. I think it's a really good film. I'm hoping that there will be more opportunities for people to see it in the near future, but we'll see. Oh, absolutely. Speaking of anthologies, our pals at Arrow Video announced that they're putting out Creepshow 2. Ah, really? Yep, so I'm going to get my hands on that. Because the raft's on there. Yes, the raft, your segment, your segment, your dream segment from an anthology. <laughs> that wee announcement had eluded me this week, so that's uh, that's cool news. Mm-hmm. Something coming out the Chud Locker, which has been forwarded to me countless times in the last few hours. I love the expression, coming out with the Chud Locker. Delighted. Carry on. <laughs> you truly are the best Chuds out there, people. Yes, uh, you yes. You really are. Yeah, yeah uh, this has been forwarded to me an obscene amount of times in the past few hours, and every time I laugh when I open it. So um, our pal Zoe Louise, I don't know what she's been watching, where she's cribbed this image from, but uh, what she has here is the, an image of a very sweaty, tattooed Russian Eurovision performer mm-hmm. uh, that she believes looks a bit like me <laughs> Do you know, actually, I, I can kind of see it. I can kind of see it. We have a similar nose. We have a similar fat bottom lip and similar sunken, haunted eyes. I can kind of see it. The funny thing is that I would never have said that you look like Travis Bickle or Steve Buscemi. <laughs> but, but I would say that this picture is a hybrid of both of those. And somehow... Well, also comes out looking a wee bit like you. Do you know what I'm going to do, right? I'm actually, I was toying with growing my facial hair out and growing like a big fucking Grizzly Adams beard over the duration of lockdown, but it's getting to that point, Mitch, you're a bearded man, you know what this feels like. It's getting to that point where it's all getting a bit irritating, my neck's getting itchy, I just, it's fucking me off. I'm wearing face coverings when I go out and my beard's getting in the road and Mm -hmm. it's just, I'm over it. So I'm going to have a shave later on today. Why not? On the subject of shaving, Mm -hmm. a big bone of contention in my household is the fact that it's difficult to clean up all your trimmings, right? With the best will in the world, you scoot around (laughs) and you you kind of gather it all up and you do your best to try and make sure that there's no little clippings lying around. But there's always one, there's always a couple of strays that land somewhere that you just don't think to check, right? Mm -hmm. So I've bought myself one of those bibs that goes round your neck and with suckers that suction onto the mirror see these things look amazing yeah and it's, it's an incredibly simple invention but actually it's funny actually that you should mention this a piece of lockdown trash viewing that is in heavy rotation in this flat right now is a shark tank all right okay <laughs> uh, so obviously the american iteration of dragon's den there's seven seasons of it on netflix and i just i can't recommend it enough but the people who invented that were on it in one of the episodes that we were watching this week. And I keep looking at it being like, the visual of this is ridiculous, but it's so practical. Did they get the money? They did. Oh, yeah, of course they did. Of course they did. Well, anyway, I've bought one. It's arriving today. I'm going to have a shave. And what I'll do is I'll try to replicate this image to the best of my ability. Yeah, yeah. Be sure and also um, post this a during process, a, a during photo when you've got the actual sure. bib suction to the mirror as well. Absolutely. I, I wouldn't dream of not doing that because I think that alone bears mention. But I'll keep the moustache like this gentleman. I'll do the similar face and I'll get that sent back and we can, uh, we can do a side by 
Basic. Yes, yeah, that's it. Beside it, yeah. But thanks, Zoe. Uh, very funny observation. Staying in the Chud Locker this week, and um, I hope he doesn't mind me mentioning this, but uh, we did have an absolute outpouring of lovely messages on the Chud Locker. And congratulations to our pal Tony Constantino, progenitor of the Mincerverse. Congratulations to him and his wife Kathy on the birth of their daughter Callie this week. Um, we stuck something up in the grief about that, and everyone was so lovely about it, which was just really yeah. cool and a very good version of the things about this that we think are great. Yeah, and I'm hoping this child's middle name is Ronina or Mincel. Yeah, I was saying that um, if uh, if they have a second kid and it's a boy, I will be very disappointed if the name is not Cornelius Pipe Constantinou. <laughs> but we shall Cornelius see. Cornelius Pipe. Uh, you got anything else before we move on? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got plenty of stuff. Here. Okay, I've only got a couple more things, and they're all kind of loosely tied together. So if you want to, um, if you want to rattle through some things, then by all means. Just a quick throwback to talking about Ryan Spindell. Another person weighing in about how lovely Ryan is is our old pal Josh Forbes at ah. Best Josh Forbes. Uh, you may remember Josh joined us. Uh, to talk about his own film, Contracted Phase 2. Yeah, yeah, back episode 50-something, uh, our first and only thus far self-defense episode. Um, <laughs> we'd be very happy to do another one of those, but uh, yeah, and it was cool to hear from Josh. Yeah, yeah, that was a dream come true for me, by the way, having a director come on and defend their own film. Yeah, uh, he's absolutely. just saying that he loves Ryan. Oh, so do we. Yeah. Sheridan Knott on Twitter, mm-hmm. pitching another director to come on the show. Uh, how come we still haven't had the Joe Lynch on Strong Violent PC yet? Surely now is a perfect time. Two Scots versus one New Yorker. Do it now, essentially, before all the best movies are gone. Well, I mean, Sheridan, I'm not going to lie. We've asked the question a couple of times. If you guys want to hear Joe Lynch on the show, you know where to find him. Go tweet him. Yeah, pestle the shit out of him. Yeah, exactly. Let's make this happen. I agree. Now's the time. Absolutely. I mean, I know he's got he's probably got his own stuff or he's probably still a busy man, but come on, Joe. <laughs> regarding the double episode drop our old pal the shake 72 getting in touch to say you're putting out episodes like the department for education puts out guidance to schools with alarming frequency and around midnight <laughs> amazing that's very funny <laughs> yeah uh-huh good stuff dave shakes our, our source for uh coronavirus satire lovely <laughs> i've got nothing else that was it. it was all it was all silly stuff this week get it it was lovely yeah yeah that, and staying kind of on a silliness kick we did hear a little bit again from stevie film fan stevie who without the Curzon soho in his life is evidently starting to lose his mind he's uh there's just like there's an increasing jack torrance vibe about his tweets <laughs> i think it's about time that somebody maybe just uh, gave us door knock just make sure that he's all right because this week he straight off the back of watching Iga and Santa Claus and the Ice Cream Bunny mm-hmm. continues to scrape the bottom of the cinematic barrel his words not mine this week with uh, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians yeah where the tagline is blast off for Mars with Santa and a pair of Earth Kids science fun fiction at its height so there you go what does this have on IMDb this 1964 sci-fi comedy has 23% <laughs> of Rotten Tomatoes and 2.7 on IMDb so I would say actually it's arguable though Stevie is still watching what is a compelling line in crap right now. Um, <laughs> these films do seem to be getting progressively better. So maybe if lockdown goes on long enough, he'll end up watching Citizen Kane. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, but he did mention last week that he was watching uh, Iga and also just floated a couple of other ideas. And Tony himself got back in touch saying, Iga is hilarious. Anyone that hasn't seen this atrocity or Manos, the hands of fate, I implore you to seek out the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes on those. Uh, Tony basically suggesting <laughs> that those films not really survivable on their own. <laughs> uh, Manos is great. Uh, that's it for me. So yeah, again, time for Mitch's pitches. Mitch's pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. 
We'll have photoshopped out the title and the tagline, any other identifying text, leave only the image. It'll be my job to describe the image to the best of my ability and give it both a title and a synopsis based on the image alone. We will put this all over social media so you guys can play along at home because you guys tend to knock it out at the park with the pitching. This week, no exception. Sure. So this past week we had Pitt. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. Truly horrifying poster. Agreed, hundred percent, hundred percent. Reappropriated by me as the viral bear case. Bring me the head of Teddy's deadly Teddy. Oh my god, that's terrible. See, with a week in between to let that stew, like that's really poor. I disagree. <laughs> I think that whoever came up with that is smart, funny, and also handsome. Uh, <laughs> Turning our attentions then to this week's pitches, Laura, buying an LV on Twitter. Mickey DeLenz has a hard time with the decline of the monkeys. With psychotic teddy bear Brian, he goes on a bubblegum pop rampage in 1974's Into the Pit. Very close to the actual title, actually. Very close, very close. Hanny underscore Ray getting a pitch in, but I can't see a title. Uh, Timmy's teddy bear has a dark secret. Far from the usual cuddly, inanimate pal, it's actually a scout for a clan of killer alien creatures hungry for human flesh. Teddy can be convincing, and little Timmy becomes delivery boy for the aliens, bringing friends to dinner, literally. Oh. Tony Constantinou, Dublin-based nose surgeon Ryan O'Plasty, gets more than he bargained <laughs> for when a botched operation on his suspiciously sinister stepson Damien unleashes the hordes of hell to enact the little bastard's deadly revenge in the wolf fully unrelated 1986 sequel Nose Good Deed 2 Omens Where the Heart Is <laughs> Excellent And finally on Instagram we've got C.P. Buckley when young devout Catholic Jay eases Right, okay, <laughs> that feels a bit on the nose It's a little bit of a stretch, accidentally takes some of his heathen babysitter's acid he starts to hallucinate that his favourite teddy bear Judas <laughs> He's talking to After finding provocative pictures of her in her rucksack, Judas deems her a sinner and Jane knocks her out. He drags her to a nearby sinkhole and tosses her in, believing the sinkhole to be a gateway to hell. Returning home, he sees his parents kissing after date night and Judas calls them sinners. Now his parents must escape the clutches of their tweaking son and the clutches of some very real demons. In the 1983 religious exploitation shocker, the sinkhole to hell, a boy, his bear, and some lysergic athlete to fucking hell. Lysergic acid dithalamine. Thank you. Yes, that's the one. I'm not even going to go back and try it again. CP, that's fucking great. I would watch the living daylights out of that film. Wow. Okay. Uh, I, I'm just going to give a name to Hannah's. We're going to go with uh, the creatures from Ursa Major. Sure. It's about males. Fine. Happy with that. <laughs> Why the hell not? Um, so, best pitch and best character name. Ooh. Best character name to Tony. Ryan O'Plasty, good. And best pitch overall to CP, why not? I'm happy with that. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's a strong one. I was happy with it. So, yeah. uh, Tony and CP, congratulations. You are this week's winners. Rab, the delivery driver, working double shifts these days, but he'll make it. You'll be seeing your nothing sometime this week. Big love to the, the borderline blasphemy of uh, CPs. Yes, yeah, yeah. Always nice, that, isn't it? <laughs> so, are you ready? Yeah, I guess it's my turn. Bloop, bloop, bloop. Here it comes. Okay, okay. Here it is, here it is. Wow, right. Uh, okay, so there's no border to this image. Mm -hmm. uh, the background is black. We have, as the kind of main crux of it, an alien with a kind of bulbous head and kind of claws, certainly on the left hand. It looks like it's holding, potentially holding a weapon in his right hand, but you can't really see because it's in the shadows. Uh, backlit by a kind of sinister orange glow. Okay. I can tell you also that the video technique double exposure is at play here. <laughs> in amongst the kind of uh, the alien's visage on its torso, we do see four people. I would say it's fair to say that they're in a state of some distress. They're in a wooded area. They have a van that looks like the mystery machine that is parked in a clearing and has its windshield smashed. It's kind of difficult to tell. I'm zooming a little bit, but I'm going to go for it being two women and two men. Okay. Woman at the front with uh, her right hand clapped over her right eye, screaming with her left hand reached out in front of her. Uh, 
uh, wearing an orange cardigan and blue jeans. I think they're all wearing blue jeans. Next to her, there is a guy with like a kind of the dad from the Brady Brunch style hair and a white shirt. He's also got his left hand out in front of him while screaming. Joining the pack of people with their left hand out in front of them screaming is uh, the guy behind them <laughs> in an orange hoodie and a white shirt. And uh, cowering behind him, we have uh, what appears to be, I would say, I'm going to say a woman wearing what appears to be a short sleeved blouse and kind of flared jeans. Okay. They're looking yeah, onwards and screaming. In the background, we can see a kind of cabin with, again, a sinister orange light emanating from it. There's also what looks like a full moon or an unidentified light in the sky above the forest. That's, a, that's an important distinction there, Mitch, whether it's uh, it's important to mention that it could also be, yeah, the light from a, an alien intrusion. Yeah, who can say? Do you need some time? Oh, absolutely. Interesting fact about this poster, Mitch, and indeed the creature contained within. Okay. This creature here that we see is indeed an alien. Played by Kevin Peter Hall, who also went on to play the Predator. Huh. Interesting. So there you go. Mm. Typecast. What I'll do in these. Uh, <laughs> he was also Harry in Bigfoot and the Hendersons. But what I will say, perhaps I'll use these quieter moments in the Sunshine Kid to start giving little tidbits of information about the film. That'd be good. Yeah, if you can get factoids that aren't spoilery or that might uh, impede my judgment, then I would say by all means use them. Uh, however, I do have one right now. Okay, let's go. When Connie Stellation, head of the Franklin High School Astronomy Society, receives a tip about an upcoming full moon, she and the rest of the club, including boyfriend Ryan Spelt, Luna Eclipse, and Alan, head out to the woods in Connie's camper van (laughs) for a better view. However, that expanding light in the sky is more than just a full moon. A race of incredibly poorly informed light bulb headed aliens have descended on Earth and mistaking Connie and her friends for high powered Russian dignitaries and the forest they're found in as their sprawling presidential estate wreak fiery havoc in their attempts to carry out what they believe is a slickly executed coup d'etat. What starts as a deadly fight for survival soon turns into a deadly fight for survival in the blood soaked satirical mediocrity of 1983's. Twinkle, twinkle, little czar. Close encounters of the nerd kind. Wow. Okay. So, fill me in. What year did you say? 83. Oh, wow. Okay. You're quite close. Quite close. Okay. Uh, 1980. 1980. Okay. Cool. Right. And the film is Without Warning. Without Warning. Tell me more. Um, what is this about and who is our synopsisizer for the week? We have Gas Mask Productions Books. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Sandy and Greg are two teenage kids going camping with their friends in California. Their plan is to go to the lake in town, and despite warnings from the creepy town gas station owner Joe Taylor, the kids go camping there and end up separated from each other. Greg and Sandy team up with Taylor to save the town, but unfortunately for them, Taylor is rather eccentric and fixated on hunting down the hostile alien threatening them and a former Vietnam War veteran Fred Dobbs is convinced that Sandy and Greg are the aliens. Oh my God. Jesus Christ, a lot going on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any good? Nah, no. Weirdly though, it's like really super low budget, but like half of the budget went on securing Jack Palance and Martin Landau. Oh Jesus, okay. Yeah, yeah. There's like some big, big names in here, but it's, 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 that doesn't translate to being good. Also starring Cameron Mitchell, who you may remember from appearing on a poster from a couple of weeks ago. Okay. <laughs> Reduce. Um, <laughs> that concludes Mitch's pitches for this week. That image is everywhere. Uh, so get pitching. We love hearing from you, obviously. 
Mm-hmm. Streaming platforms this week then. Amazon Prime on Friday, we have got Film That Needs No Introduction, Nightmare on Elm Street. Wonderful. And also on Friday, we've got season two of Homecoming. Heidi Bergman is a caseworker at Homecoming, a facility that helps soldiers transition back to civilian life. She leaves Homecoming to start a new life living with her mother, working as a small-town waitress. Years later, the Department of Defense question why she left, which makes her realize that there's a whole other story behind the one that she's been telling herself. It's based on a podcast of the same name. I haven't seen the series, but the podcast was great. I think it was from Gimlet right. and it had Catherine Keener, David Cross, loads of people like that in it. Right, okay. I think Oscar Isaac actually was one of the voice casts in the podcast as well. Um, so that's out there. And um, yeah, if you want to check that out. Also uh, on Sunday on Prime, we've got Mad Max Fury Road. In a post-apocalyptic wasteland, Max, a drifter and survivor, unwillingly joins Imperator Furiosa, a rebel warrior, in a quest to overthrow a tyrant who controls the land's water supply. Mm, shining chrome. Yes, indeed, yeah. Um, Netflix, May 18th, we've got Light in the Dark, which is about the only thing this week. A terrifying home invasion shatters a couple's family life and brings their marriage to the brink as painful fallouts unfold. Oh, okay. Uh, turning attentions then to Shudder, on Monday, we've got At the Devil's Door. Now, this is directed by Nicholas McCarthy who made The Pact and The Prodigy. He made it between those two films in 2014. Lee, an ambitious young real estate agent, is asked to sell a house with a dubious past. When she finds the runaway daughter of the couple trying to sell their home, she becomes entangled with a supernatural force with sinister plans. Also, I got 2013's Open Grave, which sounds like something I might like. A man awakens in a pit full of dead bodies having lost his memory. With no idea of how he got there, he must now figure out if the people who rescued him are the killers or if he is guilty of the crimes. And on Monday, I'm not going to lie, Andy, a film that you and I have both made no bones about us not having really that much time for a terrifier all right okay now we are firmly in the minority here right Absolutely. Well, i think terrifier is terrible yeah um, a maniacal clown terrorizes three young women and anyone else in his way on halloween night and like i say me and andy both uh, having no time for this film whatsoever is not a disbarment from us telling you to watch it because basically everyone else seems to think it's great yeah absolutely like we are firmly in the minority here not and i think the the, the look of art the clown is great Yep, absolutely. I did not like the film. Did yep. not like it. Did nothing for me either, I must say. But on Thursday also on Shudder, we have got Blood Machines, an artificial intelligence escapes a spaceship to challenge two Blade Runners to a chase. And on Friday, of course, we do have week five of The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs. We do indeed. And on Sky Cinema, just the one uh, this week that I think is particularly worth mentioning, but I would also say that it's our pick of the week this week. Former guest's film, Tuesday 19th, Satanic Panic from Chelsea Stardust. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, it's great. A minimum wage delivery girl is forced into a night-long battle with the affluent leaders of a suburban community after discovering they're part of a satanic cult. Great fun, this one. That's 100% my pick for the week. Yeah, agreed. Go check that out. So, loads of stuff to be getting stuck into. You know what to do if you're watching any of that stuff. Get in touch and let us know. So, turning our attention to this week's show, we do have another guest and a really interesting one. The writer of the novel The Boy, which got turned into The Boy, the film, not the one about the doll. Just as well, because I do not like that film. No, but I do like the film The Boy 2015. Mm-hmm. So the author of that book, also the new book The Remaking, and also the Marvel comic series Scream, Curse of Carnage, it's Clay McLeod Jammin. This is such a great chat. Um, we're going back to 1981 for one of the earliest horror movie spoofs student bodies yeah now a horror movie spoof sounds like something that would be very well suited to this format but it's actually pushing us out of our comfort zone a fair bit because we're trying to find the funny side in something that's already funny yeah yeah so uh expect something a little bit different yeah but really enjoyed the chat and really appreciated clay bringing it to the table and just kind of making us think a little bit about how to approach the conversation mm-hmm. uh, so this is everywhere you can get it on amazon i think it's on youtube as well so uh yeah dig in and uh, get that watched in time for friday clay mcleod chapman author of scream at curse of carnage the boy and the making joins us to talk student bodies 
Yep, can't wait for this one. How are you feeling about this? And have you been affected by any of the issues discussed on today's mini-sode? If so, then by all means get in touch through all the usual channels, Facebook and Instagram or Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. You can email scenes at gmail.com and you can also drop any considerations into our Facebook group, The Child Locker. Website, strongviolentpod.com. Get over there. Lots of good stuff going on over there. And by lots of good stuff, I mean not that much right now because the world has gone on pause. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> We are back on Friday for episode 103. Clay McLeod Chapman joins us to talk student bodies. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.